more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 19. Fifteen Folds The eighth fold is a tribute to the one who entered into the valley of the shadow of death, that we might see the light of day. U.S. Flag Folding Ceremony Walk into any bar in America on trivia night and ask how many times the flag is folded to make a triangle shape, and every team will blurt out, Thirteen! Right, so... No. An honor guard folds an interment flag into 13 triangle folds, with the stars uppermost. That's correct. But the question is kind of a trick question. Sure, 13 stripes on the flag, 13 stars displayed when the flag is completely folded, and all of that comes from representing the original 13 colonies. So much symbolism, so much synchronicity. Except, 13 is wrong. It's actually 15. You see, there are two preparatory folds required to bring the flag to tabletop. The honor guard team displays the flag flat like a table, open and unfolded. Then the team folds the flag in half twice along the length to create a long slender board of fabric, three-fifths stripes, two-fifths canton of blue with stars. From this position, either the team or a single guardsman, pending the type of ceremony, initiates the famed 13 triangle folds. And this is where it gets really good. It's supposed to have all this symbolism and perfect synchronicity, but it doesn't. My world is a lie, right? No, it's not, in fact. Look closely, and it's actually even better. Let me explain. Each individual triangle fold represents various long-held American ideals, the first triangle fold represents life. The second, our belief in the eternal life, or looking at it a little more meta, the transcendent. The next remembers the veteran departing the ranks. One fold represents mothers, another one fathers. On and on, each fold represents some deeper meaning. The first two folds, though, the two preparatory folds, officially hold no symbolic meaning. We overlook those two so much that even our wittiest trivia nuts discount them. However, without these crucial preparatory folds, none of that deeper symbolism can exist. Without correctly preparing the flag, you can't, quote, align the stars. Or worse, you get no stars at all. The, quote, table must first be set. The folded flag that the guardsman passes to the family on bended knee requires and includes each solemn symbol. Without all 13 meaningful folds, the final product won't tuck and the flag can't be finished. Perfect beauty exists in how all those folds and symbols are required 
to achieve that whole value embodied by the completed flag. And that includes the two preparatory folds and their unnamed meaning. When we aren't looking, when we aren't paying attention, the background cosmos is swirling and churning in preparation constantly. It's in the shadows where we can't see it, in the farthest, darkest voids of space, rumbling, aligning, and folding, so that when the light comes, it's perfect. To achieve the perfect flag, all 15 folds must be perfect. Then, and only then, do the stars align. Sweat collected beneath the brim of my leather trail hat. The desert air sat stagnant at the bottom of the slot canyon. I wiped my forehead with my sleeve and removed my sunglasses to see, uninhibited, the beauty before me. I stood in awe before the treasury of the ancient city of Petra. The handiwork of two millennia-old chisels and hammers appeared crisp and no worse for wear. I hoped I looked as good when I turned 2000. So this is the place. I said to Quincy, my compatriot accompanying me on the mission. A few weeks prior to returning home, command sent us to Jordan as part of a presidential security detail in support of his visit. One of the lead-ups to the mission involved a day at Petra, an ancient city and burial ground nestled in a valley of craggy Martian cliffs amid a crossroad of civilizations. We had walked the 10-foot-wide ribbon path down the mile-long slot canyon and reached the valley flanked by 500-foot walls on either side. Local kids on camels and Arabian horses offered rides to the less physically inclined. The confines and meandering cavern created a twilight between the walls. The descending path hid, even to the last few feet, the secret grandeur of Petra. At the end of the path, the walls unfolded and the sky overhead was reborn crisp sunlight spilled over the cliffs and splashed against the treasury facade. As one exits the canyon path, light stuns the eyes that have grown acclimated to darkness. The treasury then glowed almost supernaturally. The carved columns held up the weight of millions of years of mountain and thousands of years of artistic human intervention. The intricate detail denied that it had been carved out of the cliff, but instead that it had been built and later devoured by a slowly digesting cliff. The artistry showed the bravery of the masons who chipped away 130 feet above the canyon floor. This is it. This is where Indiana Jones found the Holy Grail. I smirked at Quincy. We walked through the crowd of English-speaking children who attempted to sell us knockoff Roman coins. The treasury's gargantuan doorway remained dark, haunting, and inviting, as if taunting the secrets of the Grail itself. Through the glow of the facade, I squinted into the blackness inside. That's it? That's fucking it? Inside the treasury was a large atrium, cube in shape, roughly 30 feet by 30 feet, with one small shelf alcove carved into each wall. 
As beautiful as the exterior was, the interior was uninteresting cuts of right angles, barren and bland. Maybe they're remodeling. Yeah, you know, maybe some Art Deco fixtures, some drapes, and a Jackson Pollock on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose it makes sense. What do you mean? I mean, this place. This place is both a, a storefront and a cemetery. This part down here in the valley, it's a market. People just passing through from one end of an empire to the far end of another. And those up there on the cliffs, those are all tombs. It's a transient place. And the only permanent people here are the dead. The dead don't care what it looks like. Only the living do. And they're just passing through. Buying and selling as they go. Those are tombs. With tourists in a graveyard? I swept a pointed finger to the adjacent hillside, perforated with hundreds of small, hollowed-out caves. Yeah, all those? Tombs. All this. All this effort to carve and create? This is their Arlington. <laughs> tourists and all. They did all this for dead people. <laughs> well, at least they didn't build pyramids. Working like that? In this kind of heat? Probably digging their own graves. I thought Texas was bad. Man, this is brutal. He wiped his sweating forehead with a flat hand. People do crazy stuff in the name of honoring the dead. I trailed off and mumbled to the sand at my feet. But it's... It's actually not quite like that. I pulled my eyes away from the monolithic treasury and set them on Quincy's smiling face. But they didn't do all this for their dead. Not really. I looked back at the treasury. Look in the inside. It's barren. It's just a facade. Sure, they valued the people they laid to rest here, but there's more to it than that. It was a, a conspicuous show of respect. For the dead, sure, yeah, but also for themselves, for their culture, and, and for the grandness of their society, for the people passing through to appreciate. Just passing through. That's it. I mean, this really is their Arlington. But instead of flashy-clad, square-jawed men tossing rifles around, they have these walls. You see that architecture? It's a hybrid. There's Greek, and that's Roman, and Assyrian, Egyptian, all in one gorgeous design. This place was built in the first century AD. That facade was carved when Jesus was a contract builder on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. At that time, wherever two or more empires touched, there was bloodshed. Where cultures intermingled, there was violence. But not here. In fact, this may have been the single most diverse, successfully integrated society on the planet until until America. Look at it. They didn't just go at it with chisels and hammers and knock off rock until something pretty came out. They designed it that way on purpose. It incorporates a little bit of everything into the artistry. Anyone that came through here would have been able to see all of this grandeur and find something to identify with, to feel welcome, to sense something familiar in the beauty of it. 
They used math, engineering, and excruciating attention to detail to make it, to make it make perfect sense. These walls, these walls are their honor guards. They show the living who would see it what they valued, that the people of their society were worth the effort. And all this is for what's left behind, us, 2,000 years later, just passing through. Honors for the living to see and understand on the outside of the tomb. I mean, really, what the hell good does honor do for the dead? They don't care. They're dead. And now it's our time, and we get to enjoy it. Just passing through. Bro, you work here? Or you just got weird hobbies? <laughs> you have no idea. Come on, let's go for a walk. teenage boy came rushing up beside us atop a sweating bay-colored Arabian. The horse bore a small, slanted star on his forehead. The boy complimented me on my hat, and I returned it with one for his horse. He smiled, and in respectable English, joked about an offer to trade me straight across. Het for horse. He smiled a mess of teeth as unkempt as his hair. I liked him. I shot a shrewd, bartering leer at him. I eyed his steed up and down, evaluating it, and then back to him, calculating. You drive a hard bargain, kid. I really like that horse. But I really like this hat. He laughed and patted the horse's neck. This good horse. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I already have a horse, and he's a great one. I winked at him. The boy laughed and trotted off. I turned back to Quincy. Don't laugh. Wouldn't be the first time I've done something like that. I laughed to myself as I scanned the tourists for a guy in a white ball cap. I cozied beneath the plush covers of my hotel bed, laptop open on my lap. The luxurious room smelled of cigarette smoke as I enjoyed not having to walk three football fields to have one. Freedom to smoke was not the only perk I enjoyed. Over the previous five months, I lived in darkness, with no concept of circadian rhythm, no windows, no television, or any other general perks of civilization. This room had them all. Big screen television, pillow top mattress, reliable high-speed internet, marble floors, speakers in the bathroom, a bathtub, a shower that never ran cold, a bidet, a fully stocked refrigerator, an operable thermostat, a ceiling fan, a lamp, and a furnished business desk. I felt human and ever so close to home. Based on my schedule, I was able to talk to Missy at leisure and did so with newfound morale and excited focus. 
the focus, race selection. I had just told Missy to have a nice day and was already clicking through page after page of upcoming potential races for honor. I glanced at the television playing CNN in the background. Smoke poured out of the chimney at the Vatican. Uh, he was asked two questions, two fateful questions. One, do you accept your election as Supreme Pontiff? And obviously his answer to that question is yes. Pope Frank was the new guy's name. I remembered that St. Francis of Assisi, champion of the poor, had communed with the animals, preaching to birds and beasts. I smiled. Hey, Father Frank, I've got a hundred dollar horse. Can you put a good word in for me? I lifted my can of Coca-Cola to the screen in a toast. Here's to you, Father Frank. After a quick celebratory swig, I set the can down on the nightstand and went back to work researching. Horse races come in as many shapes and sizes as the horses competing. I had seen a horse race before, and that was the extent of my understanding. With all of the variables one needs to understand how to choose the right race, I had some ground to make up. I learned about conditions and which ones worked in honor's favor. Conditions limit which horses can enter and general rules for the race. Conditions can include the horse's age, whether he's raced or not, whether he's won or not, how many times he's won, and the distance in furlongs. A furlong is one-eighth of a mile. Some conditions were inclusive and others exclusive. The condition book offered a race for any combination one could imagine. The trick was choosing a race with conditions that best suited your horse. The phone buzzed with the text. Are you still looking at races? It was Missy. Yes. Go to bed! Exclamation mark. I am in bed. No, go to sleep! Exclamation mark. I found three races I think would match up. I've also been looking up jockeys. I want him to have the best available. It's his first race. Very few, very in all caps few first-timers win. Just let him enjoy it. Stop worrying about it so much. Most horses have to figure out what it's all about first. Go to sleep, period. I looked at the screen one last time. I read the date at the top of the condition page. April 24th. I closed the laptop. Okay, I'm going to sleep, period. There's a problem with Honor's paperwork. Call me when you can. Missy's text gut-punched me. I returned to the UAE from my stint in Jordan the day prior with countable days left of my deployment. Butterflies screamed around my stomach every waking minute. As if returning home wasn't enough, the reality of Honor's race drew near with equal speed. Sleep eluded me. I made constructive use of the time by spoiling my horse. I designed and purchased jockey silks for him. I designed the blouse to resemble, with historical accuracy, the uniform Lord Cardigan himself would have worn at the charge of the Light Brigade. The back, however, told the story. The 17th Royal Lancers adopted an insignia after the Battle of Balaklava. Contrary to most English insignias, this one didn't sparkle with bravado or crowns or lions holding flags. Instead, a simple skull and crossbones held a draped banner. The banner read, OR GLORY, in all caps. In some instances, 
lances crossed behind the skull and bones, signifying the light cavalry from the ill-fated charge. The back of honor silks displayed the same kindred story, with one slight alteration. Or honor. As shocking as the crest must have been in Victorian England, so too would honor silks be on the track. Missy's words, though, injected uneasiness. I inserted my earbuds and started a video call. Missy's face had little time to smile. Hey, I got your message. What's going on? I went to register Honor today, and his paperwork is wrong. You know how his sock is on his back right foot? Yeah, well, the bill of sale from the auction house says it's on his left foot. Because the bill is wrong, we can't prove it's actually him. That's ridiculous. So what does it mean? It means I have to track down the previous owner and have him sign a corrected version. And what if you don't? Honor can't race. A lump grew in my throat. The thought of him not racing while alone devastating didn't produce this cancerous feeling. A realization drew sweat from my palms. What if he won't sign? A pause of expression glazed over Missy's face. I watched her internalize the same thought. Then technically he still owns honor. Bullshit! Anger strangled a death grip around my heart. That fucker left him for dead. Left him for dead. There wasn't even a reserve on that auction. And now you have to go back and track this dick back down and politely ask him to effectively resell my horse to me? After all this? Tim, calm down. I'm just as fumed as you are. I already have the contact information and I'm going to meet up with him. I'm the one who has to go face-to-face -face with this guy. Don't give this guy anything. I mean it. And when he signs it over, you tell him every sentence of Honor's story. You let him know what Honor's name means. You let him know what he threw away, what he never gave a chance to, what he left for dead. Any other marching orders? She was allowing me space to vent. Yeah, kick him. Kick him so fucking hard in the right shin that he never forgets which is which. Yes, sir. <laughs> Another day crept by as I waited for news from Missy. Finally, the phone buzzed with a text. Call me. She was radiant and started right in. I got the signature. She slung her arm up and flexed as she gloated. I said, sign the damn paper or I will break your fucking shin, per my husband's instructions. Thug Missy bounced a pointed finger at the screen. The tough girl impression looked ridiculous coming from her tiny features. That's right, that's right, sign it. Her head bobbed with her finger. <laughs> you are a force of nature, Watson. So really, how did it go? She calmed somewhere just inside rational. I was nervous as fuck, I'm still kind of shaking, and cussing apparently, wow, man, <sighs> okay, so I rolled out to Old Boy's house way west of town, at first he acted like I was just a nuisance and thought the whole ordeal was all a pain in the ass, so I went with that, yeah, pain in the ass, I know, just sign the fucking paper, whatever. But then he started asking questions. It was obvious we had intentions for honor because why would we just now be getting it corrected, right? At least the guy isn't stupid. 
So he starts asking questions about Honor, like, so you guys gonna race him? And so he turned out to be a pretty good horse, huh? That's when I was like, look, douche, goatees were cool 15 years ago, and leaving horses for dead was never cool. Your loss, our gain, you reap what you sow, bud. You really said that? No, I would never say that. <laughs> oh but God. I sure shit thought it. <laughs> but did you, you know, did you find anything out about him? Yeah. I guess Homesize bought him as a companion pony for one of his other racehorses, but found another horse he wanted at the track. He didn't have the trailer space for Honor. So Honor got the boot and ended up at Jones. Wow. So Honor really did just get kicked off the trailer. I guess I don't blame him for being so afraid to get back on. And all the times we asked him to get on the trailer. To save his own life. To do what he was meant to do. We were asking him to get right back on the thing that hurt him the most. I remembered the sad image of Honor at the entry of the trailer, stretching as far as his neck would reach toward the grain, and now I felt terrible for it. Then I remembered how he decided one day to just load without question. I know. Missy knew what I was thinking. Her animal-induced tears started to well up and thickened her words. I know, I know, I know. Stop it. She looked away from the camera with a forced smile, and laughed. She brushed it away and came back to the camera. Her expression eased into something sincere. You did a great thing. Honor knows it. And I love you for it. You're a good man, Tim Finley. Five days. Five days, and I can kiss you with this foul mouth. The frigid rain poured down as we walked into the squadron. The Arab sun had kissed us goodbye many hours prior at a hundred degrees. I hadn't felt cold or rain for eons. Trees brandished leaves. Grass sprung tall against the drenching rain. The unfamiliar cold and wetness was miserable and beautiful. It was an Oklahoma spring, but I wasn't home yet. I entered through the right side set of doors to the auditorium, navigating the commotion of sobbing spouses and jubilant reunions in the foyer. I jetted through the mob, weaving through any available space. After breaking the doorway threshold and into the emptied auditorium, I looked to my left, to the back few rows of the auditorium, and saw my parents. My face turned into a giant smile. My mom gestured to her left, to the other set of doors. I put my index finger to my lips to tell her to keep it a secret and shuffled through the center section of chairs, closing in behind the mob of people congregating in the opposite doorway. At the back of the crowd, a petite blonde bounced on tippy toes, trying in vain to find the unfindable over shoulders and heads. I stood for a moment, just a moment, and breathed. I smelled her perfume. I stepped closer and I whispered, Excuse me, miss. Can I help you find something? In an instant, we were frozen and alone. And she snapped around, wisps of hair a dervish and wild reaction. For a second, she shivered with wet eyes, 
and then latched against my body. I was home. I have been searching all of my days. All of my days. Many a road, you know, I've been walking on. All of my days. And I've been trying to find what's been in my mind. As the days keep turning into night. Aside from choosing music, I think my favorite part about doing this whole project is tying up story-long threads into neatly tied bows. But the beauty is that all these threads tied up in what are profound stories of their own are but individual slivers in the fabric that has been folding up one chapter at a time, some perhaps that you might not have seen and won't until the finale, which is perfect because I didn't and I was there. I think the value of this chapter and this thread is perhaps one of the most controversial and was likely the most difficult for me personally to internalize. When your world is governed by the sanctity of impermanence, in other words, when as an honor guard your livelihood is practically ancestor worship, it's incredibly simple to allow that to overshadow the tiny flicker of time we actually spend living and then subsequently to overlook and undervalue it. To be able to reframe that reverence in a way that properly assigns value to life so that it is not mutually exclusive with or does not take away from the lives already lived is a paradigm shift, a major one, and for the finale of this story, a critical one. It's change. White smoke out of the Vatican chimney. Cyclical. They pass before us as we pass through now. Fateful question, do you accept your election? Did you catch that one? This episode we're featuring Northern Virginia Therapeutic Riding Program on the southwest side of D.C. for the one or two veterans that live in the Beltway Metro. NVTRP is located between Fair Oaks and Centerville just on the south side of 66. They are a long-established and well-organized program that also benefits from strong local sponsorship. So the program is not only thorough and successful, it's also free to veterans. Their approach to therapeutic riding is experienced and their trainers are top-notch. So if you're in the D.C. area, I highly encourage you give them a look. Their website is www.nvtrp.org. That's www.nvtrp.org. I'm Tim Finley. This is to live with honor. Live fierce. This all ends.